Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. All right, so a uh, this guy goes into the library, he goes to the front counter, he says, uh, all right, let me get a cheeseburger, fries, and a Coke, no, a uh, Diet Coke. And the woman at the counter says, um, sir, this is a library. He says, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Give me a cheeseburger, fries, and Diet Coke. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from 89.3 KPCC in Los Angeles, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Spencer Lee, the man behind the blog Sounds of the Week. That's W-E-A-K, by the way. For real? Thanks, Spencer. And later we'll be speaking with our guest of honor, author Wells Tower. His writings appeared in The New Yorker and Paris Review, and now he's ready for the big time, this awesome show. That's right. But first... Time for small talk. So, Rico, this week's headlines were all about the obvious. All right. Uh, you have to wash your hands to prevent flu. That's true. The nation's banks need more money. Mm-hmm. And Manny Ramirez does steroids. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. All right. Well, for some non-obvious news, as usual, we turn to the folks at Marketplace. Phyllis Owens, commentary editor at Marketplace. What are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, apparently in the UK, the recession has an upside. Oh, great. I love these stories. There's been a surge, apparently, in the number of people reporting criminals to claim rewards from this charity called Crime Stoppers. So what you're saying is now that people don't have money, they're turning people in for money. Right. That means that when times were good, people weren't turning people in. Well, maybe they held back just a little. So before, it didn't bother me that you were a serial killer, but $35 is $35. (laughs) George Judson, Managing Editor, what are you going to be talking about this weekend? Lawn painting. (laughs) Meaning what? Well, in most parts of the country, when a house is foreclosed on, you can tell because their lawn is a foot high and weeds. And in California, where we are, the lawn dies. So one town here has figured out, let's paint those lawns. With actual paint? It's some kind of biodegradable paint-like thing. Don't you wish you could paint over all of your problems? You just wake up in the morning and paint your bed made? Uh, I would like to uh, to paint myself awake in the morning. I want to paint my 401k valuable. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter at Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, reading is getting really expensive. This week, the New York Times announced that it's raising its price again, 33%. And Amazon just unveiled its new Kindle, big screen Kindle reader, which is sort of like an iPod for books. It's almost $500. This actually doesn't surprise me. I ruined my credit reading Anna Karenina, actually. (laughs) I think we should buy futures in haiku. And now, time for cocktails. As always, this is when we tell you something that happened this week in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's history with a wet bar. First, the history. This week, back in 1889... The Eiffel Tower opened to the public. Now, most folks at your dinner party will have nothing but great things to say about one of the most beloved icons ever. Our friend Michelle Philippi is here to tell us about some folks who didn't. Yep, they're called Parisians. But we'll get to them in a minute. Actually, the first folks to give the tower the raspberry were Spaniards. Engineer Gustav Eiffel originally hoped to build his monument in Barcelona, but the city thought it was too, well, weird. And it's hard to blame them. How pretty could 7,000 tons of riveted iron really be? Eiffel finally won a contest to build the tower as the entrance to the World's Fair in Paris. Still, no one could imagine wanting it around forever. The plan was to rip it down in 20 years. 
But the tower did gangbuster business right off the bat. Millions flocked to see what was then the tallest structure on the planet, about a thousand feet high. And the locals hated it. Some of them anyway, including a few of the most famous artists in France. They filled newspapers with angry letters calling the tower a gigantic black factory chimney and a, quote, metal asparagus. Author Guy de Maupassant ate lunch in the tower every day because he said it was the only place in town he couldn't see it. Eventually, of course, Bohemians came to love the structure. And when it turned out to be a great radio tower, Paris sort of forgot about the whole tear it down in 20 years thing. Now it's the most visited monument in the world. So that's the history. Now for the drink to serve along with it, I am talking with Alan Walter at restaurant Iris in the French Quarter right here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Alan, you have heard the history. What drink does that inspire you to make? Well, it wasn't uh, difficult. Just yesterday, I was uh, coming up with a drink with Lillet. Lillet, though, was uh, introduced about the same time as the Eiffel Tower, within uh, just a year or two. So it's very probable that people were out in the cafes drinking the first Lillet and reacting to the, the Eiffel Tower's existence. Hopefully a little more positively to the Lillet than they initially did to the Eiffel Tower. Well, maybe the Lillet uh, helped tame their indignation at it, you know. Let's see. What, so what is this drink? This drink is a uh, summery drink that has primarily lilay, a little bit of chartreuse, a little bit of a pine needle syrup that I make here. A pine needle syrup? Yeah, it's just one of the ingredients that's played with a lot lately. It's an extremely strong, very uh, volatile phenols in it. Volatile, like the French. I think it's appropriate. <laughs> All right, so how do you mix this thing? I'll use three ounces of Lillet, just a half ounce of chartreuse, about a quarter ounce of this pine needle syrup, an egg white, and a little bit of citrus, uh, the juice of about a half a good-sized lemon. I'm going to shake it extremely hard because of the egg white. I'll strain it and serve it in a, a glass that's vaguely redolent of the Eiffel Tower, a tall fluted glass. All right, I'm going to take a sip. Is that a good Oh, man. That is like sipping a delicious, fragrant perfume. You know what, though? I think there is one thing that it could use. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit of condescending attitude. Pine needle syrup, huh? I know. <laughs> My uncle used to drink pine needle syrup. Really? When, when he was behind enemy lines. <laughs> Join the Battle of the Bulge. <laughs> but don't they have enough liquor down there? Why are these people drinking trees? I don't, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I, it could have been the voodoo, but I thought it was very tasty. It's very, it's really sweet, actually. That's like a lot of sugar. All right. Audience, if you can recommend a food to pair with this drink, like, I don't know, wood, <laughs> sawdust, my desk, pencils, send them to dinner party at kpcc.org. guest of honor this week is author Wells Tower. His first collection of stories has just come out. It's called Everything Ravaged, Everything Burned. And Wells, I thought we would start out by having you read an excerpt from Retreat. Mm -hmm. So this story, Retreat, is the tale of a real estate developer who's hit upon hard times and invited his estranged brother to come and, and visit with him and sort of got drunk and behaved unpleasantly. I woke a little after three, thirsty as a poisoned rat, but I lay paralyzed in superstition that staggering to the sink would banish sleep for good. 
My heart raced. I thought of my performance on the porch, then of a good thick noose creaking as it swung. I thought of Amanda and my two ex-wives. I thought of my first car whose engine seized because I didn't change the timing belt at 100,000 miles. I thought of how, two nights ago, I'd lost $30 to George in a cribbage game. I thought of how, in the aftermath of my father's death, for reasons I couldn't recall, I stopped wearing underwear, and of a day in junior high when the cold rivet in a chair alerted me to a hole in the seat of my pants. I thought of everyone I owed money to and everyone who owed me money. I thought of Stephen and me and the children we'd so far failed to produce, and how in the diminishing likelihood that I did find someone to smuggle my genetic material into... His father would be a florid 50-year-old who would suck the innocence and joy from his child as greedily as a desert wanderer savaging a found orange. It's a bad, uh, bad hangover. Well, it is, a, it is a bad hangover, and it's kind of the tone from, from, of, of that reading captures the tone throughout a lot of the book. A lot of people describe your writing as bleak, and although it's certainly um, not sunny... I find that you give your, all of your characters some redemptive qualities. You know, I've, I've gotten it a fair amount, actually. The, yeah, the book is bleak or the book, book is dark, but uh, I kind of think of myself chiefly as a, as a comic writer yeah. and that the hideousness is kind of there to ballast my own silly exuberance as a writer. But really, I, I think it's colossally difficult to be a human being. We are all full of doubt and anxiety, and when most of us look into our own hearts, it's not a lot of sunshine and, and daisies there. <laughs> you know, so I, I, you know, I wanted to write characters that felt real. Well, I now have the colossally difficult task of pivoting this interview <laughs> to our two standard questions. Uh, the first being, what question are you tired of being asked in interviews? Uh, is the short story experiencing a renaissance right now is one that I've been asked a lot. It's a question that I'm incapable of answering just because I've been reading short stories for years and loving them and, and admiring them. Yeah. And, and yeah. so you feel like, why are you asking me? I feel like I ask the person who's <laughs> always hated short stories and who's just found John Cheever for the first time and, yeah. and is over the moon about it. All right. So the other question we ask on the show is tell us something we don't know or something you've never talked about in interviews before. Something that I've withheld from interviewers probably for a good reason is that uh, – the scene in the short story Down Through the Valley where a little girl puts her mouth on the gear shift in her father's car <laughs> is actually something that I did when I was riding in my father's Datsun. I would lean over and suck the gear shift. Yeah. You know, what was my dad thinking I was up to when I had that gear shift buzzing in my mouth? <laughs> but, uh, do you ever get a hankering to kind of put your mouth on the gear shift? When I do, I, I just repress it. <laughs> So, Rico, this music we're listening to is Hellbender, which is Wells' band from the 90s. Really? Yeah. What did he play? He was a guitarist. So it's not enough to be a celebrated author. <laughs> he has to be in a cool rock band, too, and, like, be a New Yorker. And He's not a bad-looking guy, either. Well, that settles it. I'm going to read his book and hate it. <laughs> that will show him. All right. We have lots Take of... that. <laughs> Tower, if that is your real name. All right, we have plenty of words that you'll love to read on our website, dinnerpartydownload.com. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, where we tell you what's going on in the world of food. Enrico, you've been really busy this week, um, but I understand you made it out to the launch of a new food magazine? That's right. And if you're thinking print publication in this economy? Yeah. 
Why only someone with the mind of a child would do that. Hmm. You'd be right. My name is Amanda Becker. We're here at 826 LA at the Journalism Workshop, where every Monday kids come and learn about journalism. And we're wrapping up our food issue right now that we've been working on for a couple months. A couple months. I can see it's going to be a thick issue. How many pages? <laughs> I think it'll be like four to six pages. My God. What seems to be the predominant uh, theme? Junk food. All right. What is your name? Alana's Gradil. I'm 10 years old. And what do kids like eating today? Junk food like Takis because they're really spicy, spicier than Hot Cheetos now. What are what are Takis? Takis are these chips. They're like tortillas, but like burned. And they're hotter than Cheetos, so does your face explode when you eat them? Yeah, you have to drink a lot of water. Why, why do you want snacks that are hurt to eat? Because you know how kids are. They like really violent and they want to eat whatever. My name is Alex and I am 10. Can you, you want to read me like one of your articles? Um, I'll read the Two Boots. So this is a review of Two Boots Pizza, which just opened in LA. Yeah. The slice is so spicy because it has jalapenos. It has shrimp and crawfish. The crust is crunchy and burned. That's pretty tasty sounding. How was it writing this stuff? It was fun because I never tried crawfish in a pizza. But you liked it? Yes. See, that's the cool thing about journalism is that you learn stuff. Yeah, that's true. And you get full (laughs) on someone else's dime. (laughs) All right. Okay, so I think the last thing we have to do is write headlines. So Jason's headline was... Okay, one second. So Jason's headline was... Alex? (laughs) I'm going to eat all the Takis if we don't come up with some headlines. Look, all, all the adults are getting Takis. All the adults are getting Takis. You know why? Because they're doing all the work. Even Rico's doing work, so Rico gets a Taki. This is the best assignment ever. All the adults get Takis. Out of the mouths of babes. Yeah, they were cute as buttons, those no, kids. No, I'm talking about you took food out of the mouths of <laughs> kids. What is up with you, man? Those, <laughs> those were Takis. That's not food. <laughs> oh, those were kids. They're not humans. Come on. Those kids, watch your back. They're going to take our jobs. <laughs> and that's the Dinner Party download for this week. To keep up with us between episodes, we deliver Daily Dinner Party fodder on Twitter. Follow us at Dinner Party DNLD. And you can also catch us on the Arts and Culture Show Off-Ramp, hosted by John Raby and Queen Kim. You'll find that at kpcc.org. Thanks to Kevin Ferguson, Twilight Greenaway, and Eve Tro. And now, as always, we're going to leave you with One for the Road a song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. The band is called Woods, the album's called Songs of Shame, and this song is called Military Madness. Bon appétit. Galliano. Dude, get up. All right, this is the last time we're recording in a Dotson. <laughs>